Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, Dwalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome, everybody, to Season 3, Episode 12 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one that we're calling Sponsor Finance and Middle Market Lending, Part 2. We teased this and talked about it in a previous episode. We're going to go a little bit deeper into several different aspects today, and I think you'll really enjoy today's episode. So get your pad and pen ready for another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Thanks, everyone, once again for joining us on the show today. I am your host, Perrin Desports. Appreciate your time and joining us to hear what we have to say. And joined behind the microphone with me today is my partner, DeWalker Sinha. DeWalker, you want to say hello to everybody? Oh, hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for another good podcast. Yeah, well, let's hope it's going to be a good podcast. It's about banking once again, but this is probably 50%. You know, this is this is one of about six or eight different uh, uh, services we offer at, at Polaris, and it's probably 50% of the questions we get these days, and, and justifiably so. I mean, the, the Fed is in the news every other minute, it seems like, and the specter of Inflation, rising rates, um, are we going to continue to see rate increases? And if so, how much are they going to be? And what impact is it going to have? There's a ton around banking, lending, borrowing, and, and interest rates these days. So, of course, DeWalker has more experience on those subjects than any other person I know, which is just the two of us predominantly. So I figured I'd bring him back on the show today. DeWalker, let's talk a little bit. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off in a previous episode, but we want to talk about private equity-backed groups to start today's show. We talk about them frequently, and we usually talk about private equity-backed groups as it relates to deal structure and, and being a buyer for groups we represent in the sell-side markets. Today, I mean, let's talk about a little bit about the equity in private equity, and we let's talk about how these, these enterprise-level groups use debt funds, how they borrow money to get deals done. So, you know, first and foremost, I know you want to dive into that, but first and foremost, you know, how how do enterprise level groups use bank funds and how do they structure deals differently than than how you or I would go about it if we were building a group? You want to take a, the first pass at that? Uh, yeah, so I, I'm not, I don't think the uh, private equity firms out there um, you know, leverage capital much more differently than you and I would from 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 a, a holistic macro viewpoint. Meaning they they're they're trying to leverage capital and leverage debt as much as you know majority of our audience members are instead of putting equity into deals. And some of our audience members may want to put equity into deals, but they don't. They're uh, uh, adverse to um, you know adding debt on their balance sheet on their personal financial statement. But majority of our uh, audience members probably looks at debt as a vehicle to grow. And and you know private equity firms obviously have a lot of equity into the de- uh, equity that they've generated in their LPs, 
that they have to provide a return for. Um, and they do leverage that equity to kind of launch their initial platform into uh, some kind of an initial debt vehicle. And then obviously, as they, you know, they continue to grow in the market, uh, they will continue to invest equity. The equity, you know, is is that they're putting into deals, you know, if, if they're trying to put in minimal equity into deals um, and obviously leverage the capital position they can, because the less equity they put into deals, just like any of us, uh, and the more they can lever leverage capital, the the faster the growth or the broader the growth, meaning, and you might have a, um, a private equity firm that's in the healthcare services space, um, and let's say the fund is you know 250 million, 500 million in, in generating their LP fund, and you know they, they might be going into Danel, launching a, a platform investment in Danel, and but they might have their business plan focused on okay, we want to go into dental, uh, we want to go into plastic surgery, dermatology, kind of stay in that fee-for-service cosmetic space. Um, and you know, for that, you know, that $250 million or that is in their LP, you know, they might deploy $100, $150 in equity, $150, $150 million in equity into the to those deals. And then they might diversify the other $100 million into other investments in the healthcare services space. Um, and that $100, $150 million in equity they put in, their goal is going to be to put 10 to 20% equity into deals and try to maximize leverage into those deals. Meaning, um, you know, we talk about in the traditional space, EBITDA leverages are around four times. You start to go into sponsor finance, you, you know, it's it's common to see 6x leverage in that space. And you could even go higher, push higher if you wanted to. So uh, obviously, the higher the leverage ratio, the higher the pricing ends up being. There's different covenants that the uh, the sponsor uh, uh, have to kind of work through, but overall, I mean, I think kind of think about just like in the in the traditional lending space, higher pricing tends to mean more flexibility, and, and that kind of goes up and down the credit spectrum and the and the uh, transaction check size spectrum. You know, if you're looking for a million dollar deal or a hundred million dollar deal to deploy. So, uh, short answer is they're trying to put in as little equity as possible into these deals and lever as much as possible. It's interesting um, because all too often uh, when we talk with uh, people about building a group and, and they may be at, you know, one or two or three locations, something uh, something in the emerging phase. I mean, obviously not a formalized group, but a collection of, of practices at that point. Um, a lot of the people who are starting out in their early journeys um, are, are, are reluctant maybe justifiably so, uh, to take on a tremendous amount of debt uh, to really execute their growth strategy. The mindset of these larger enterprise level groups is all but 180 degrees opposite of that. They are they are searching for ways to preserve their, their equity capital and make it go far and, and really uh, rely on the debt structure or the availability of debt funds um, to grow the business because they know the value of the equity they're creating on balance sheet is far more valuable than the cost of the debt, no matter how it's structured to uh, to grow it along the way. So I think that that's a, it's a different mindset for sure, um, but it's also an interesting context around the top end of the food chain, ar- arguably. Um, a real quick uh, question on a little bit more on structure. I mean, are are, are some of these groups able to to leverage? debt and and structure it as interest only type debt or is uh, more of it principal and interest or does it vary across the board 
I, I mean, I think most of these products, and we start to get into, you know, um, sponsor finance, and then obviously, you know, corporate debt, a lot of these structures end up being an interest-only option. I and mean, obviously, they'll have term and am options, but they also have interest-only options. And typically, they'll, they'll have a balloon feature of five or seven years. Five is more standard, which tends to work on the life cycle, a lot of these uh, private equity firms out there. So the, you know they'll kind of deploy, you know, not have to make any principal payments, kind of deploy the interest payments, and obviously you know keep their transaction current. Uh, and what that allows the 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 sponsors of the private equity DSOs to do, or the MSOs to do, is to ability to take the excess cash, which typically majority of the audience members would say that's the principal component of it. So if you're borrowing ten million dollars, and let's say um, your um, um, interest rate was let's say um, you know, six percent. You know, so that would be a six hundred thousand dollar interest payment on it, which is about roughly around um, fifty thousand a year in interest payments. Um, and that loan payment on a uh, monthly basis, you know, principal and interest on a seven-year term, you know, might be like one hundred sixty thousand dollars a year. That would be principal and interest reduction. Uh, I'm sorry, one hundred sixty thousand dollars a month, um, and that would result in over a seven-year term that transactions paid off to zero balance. Um, so most of us, if we took out you know, uh, $10 million, we'd have to make a $160,000 payment on it. And, you know, we obviously have the principal component in that and at the end of seven years of transactions done. A lot of the sponsor firms, they will take an interest only with a balloon payment and not their payments, only 50,000 a month, right? So you and I would be taking on a $160,000 debt service per month. They're taking on a $50,000 debt service per month. And what that again allows them to do is to take that principal uh, excess cash flow, reinvest in the business. You'll see them put more equity into deals from the cash flow of the deals they already have. Uh, and we see that a lot as, as you know, we've talked about, Baron, as, as we're doing a lot of these sponsor deals and, and starting to look at these bigger groups and how they're structuring their capital position. Um, you know, we're looking at, they're, they're getting this improved cash flow that they're allowed to reinvest. Um, and, you know, that has taken a big, big change in cash position because you know we've talked about this in our podcast. You know, there's been a huge amount of cost of capital improvement. So I'll let you kind of connect on that. Yeah, yeah, that does uh, lead us right into our our next uh, talking point here. And as we've done on on previous shows, I mean, everybody knows the cost of capital is going up, but from contextual standpoint, uh, let me give you. Uh, two different uh, markers, if you will, uh, five-year treasury uh, that we typically point to a lot. Uh, February of 2021, two years ago, about 0.6%. February of 2023, current day, a little bit over 4%. So a significant increase in the uh, the cost of capital relative to that, about uh, six to 700%, obviously. Uh, federal funds rate, um, of about 0.8% two years ago and about 4.8% now. So once again, 600% um, uh, increase over those two years time. That is a That can have a substantial impact on a borrower in an interest only type of loan provision. So when we talk, when we think through the last two years and we rewind the tape, what did the uh, activity uh, what did the what was the overall M and A activity level over those two years? I think everyone in the audience knows that it was um, hyper aggressive. There were a phenomenal amount of deals being done uh, coming out of COVID in the year 2021, and in 2022, 
for the balance of the year, uh, after everything kind of right size from the prior year, um, uh, there was still a, a very strong level of, of M&A, um, uh, specialty, general dentistry all over the board. So as, as we think about that level of activity from an acquisition standpoint and the volume of, uh, of, of funds borrowed by these enterprise level groups at really dirt cheap or z- all but zero cost of funds, um, maybe not zero, but really dirt cheap cost of funds versus where they are now, that is a, a substantial change um, in in the structures of these businesses. Do you want to maybe dig a little bit deeper into the impact that the rising rates are are definitely having and some of what we're seeing and some frankly some of the phone calls that we're taking from some of these enterprise level groups? Yeah, so I think uh, you know the, the cost of capital increase um, and we, we touched base on, on our previous podcast on this. So you know some you know, um, private equity back groups and let me kind of define, you know, the kind of calls we're getting in the space for a second, just to kind of, uh, you know, provide uh, insight into the the, the calls we're, we're fielding. So these are groups that are about 40 to 50 locations to about 200 locations, right? Those are the calls that we're receiving. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the check size requests and typically on these deals are, you know, coming to us are roughly around 75 to 100 million to 200 $250 million check size request. So that's the 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 uh, calls we're looking at as far as you know w- what the pain point seems to be. And what's happening is is you know this increased cost of capital, you know, going you know for about 300 to 400 basis points across the spectrum is obviously impacting the cash flow position. We just talked about the examples of you and I would have to take out a loan for 10 million and our debt service would be 160,000 and the um, the, the the principal payment, the interest only payment for a typical sponsor would be around fifty thousand a month. Well, now if we raise the interest rate by four percent, that same payment now goes to ninety thousand versus fifty thousand, um, because that you know loan interest rate went up from six percent to nine ten percent, right? So, um, and and that's going to have a material impact in not only their cash flow, their ability to reinvest equity into the deal but also the ability to um, cash flow some of these deals. So you're seeing some of the bigger groups take some level of um, a slower approach to doing transactions, which is good. Again, um, we do think it's, you know, there's been obviously the expansion contraction of these processes and 2023 is probably a little bit of contraction in the space, uh, but we think it's a great opportunity if people are going to market because if you can structure the deals correctly, we talked about this, in our January podcast, when we're talking about sell side and, and going to market in 2023. If you can understand how the bank leverage ratios work and how the sponsor groups need to be able to leverage capital and how you can structure acquisition transactions to benefit them and make it a win-win for you as a as a potential partner, I mean, in 2023, it could be a, a, a significant transaction for you, right? So, so our ability to understand that is very meaningful. And so when we're talking to these sponsor groups, you know, their common aspect is, hey, we're starting to hit up to our covenants. They're looking for more equity in the deals. We talked about it in, in our January podcast about putting more equity into these. How can we get more capital in this rising rate market? And how can we address our cash flow covenants that we're going to be anyway? Because it's not like they're going to move from a 8 9% rate on their current facility where we're going to refinance that or restructure that deal into a 5% rate. 
they're going to go from an eight, nine percent rate because a lot of these products are variable rate products to an eight, nine, ten percent rate or higher uh, uh, price product. Uh, so the the creativity comes into how we structure leverage ratios on these deals, right? So if they are at six x leverage on these deals, can we push the leverage ratios to seven x or eight x? Um, and and what are the creative things we can do on them? And kind of buy you know our our uh, uh, some of our sponsors coming in looking at us additional you know uh, leeway on the flexibility of deploying capital. Um, and then you know as the market's going to turn in 12, 24 months, pricing's interest rates going to go down a little bit. Uh, you know, they'll be in a, in an amazing position because if they may continue to kind of keep that machine going of aggregating the right partners. And then as the pricing level uh, kind of cools off in 24, where, you know, the interest rates kind of go back down again, you know, they're positioned well. The best way to look, look at it again is 2020. If you are going in 2020 or position well in 2020, coming out of it 21, 22, you did really well. Again, 2023, if you can kind of you know, structure the right capital structures in 2023, and kind of move forward in that 2023 spectrum, then 24, 25, you're in an amazing position. Um, so, you know, that's definitely something for people to be thinking about as a, some of our private equity audience members that are listening to these larger DSOs that are look, listening to these that are, again, 40, 50, 70 location DSOs. Some of them are, most of them are going to be sponsored back. Some of them will be directly debt still for some aspects, you know, you know, now's the time to start looking at your covenants. The process on these things takes six to nine months, no different than a sell side process for us. And, you know, something we start now, our ability to kind of make something happen, you're probably looking at Q3 as far as a transaction time uh, to to get the new facility. But there's a lot of capital available, you know, in the middle market space for sponsor back groups and middle market space overall. So I, as far as capital available, uh, you know, I think if, if you can restructure now, Going into 2023, 2024, 2025, you're in a good position. Yeah, for a little inside baseball for those uh, in the audience who've never recorded a podcast before, you don't know who your subscribers are uh, unless you hear from them directly. So it's always interesting when we talk about a topic that lights up the phones <laughs> from a segment of the audience that we didn't know how uh, numerous they were, but obviously really grateful to have everybody in the audience, but it's it's neat to think that there's some that are uh, further up the food chain that are that are suffering some challenges and that we might be a resource to them. So that's kind of uh, kind of cool to learn about us, our subscriber base as we continue to, uh, uh, to broadcast our message and build a business. So uh, DeWalker, let's talk about really, um, thinking through like recapitalizing the business and, and continued growth moving forward. Any other um, strategies or tactics or considerations you want to share along those lines? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, for a lot of the sponsors that are, you know, the larger groups that are, um, you know, maybe in a some some level of a, a contraction for transactions, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, improving same store growth is going to be meaningful. That's one way to improve your leverage ratios. To kind of look at operational execution, and you know, as we you know, uh, go, get into the next few months, we are going to talk about operational uh, efficiency, strategy, execution. Um, but also, there's a you know, there's a lot of creative financing available, and you know, for some of our audience members, I'm not talking about mess financing. Mess financing is a really good tool in some cases, but I'm talking about you know, traditional senior credit financing for recourse, non-recourse, depending on the size of the deal. Uh, that are going to allow our audience members to go out and execute in 2023 and not take a pause in their ability to grow in 2023. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the the key right there, isn't it? That you know, when we think about uh, the way this year is going to unfold, if you have to take your foot completely off the gas or literally sit on the sidelines, you're you're kind of revisiting what was forced upon you um, in uh, in 2021 or 2020 during the COVID year, right? We'd we'd not we'd all like not to go back to that scenario for a multitude of reasons, but from business uh, specific lens. Uh, continuing the over, uh, to continuing to execute your overall growth strategy with the right uh, capital structure is is key to to having a great couple of years beyond that. Not not missing a beat on it for sure. So, to Walker, as we wrap up today's show, um, any uh, uh, any uh, additional concluding thoughts or, or topics um, uh, related to to private equity backed groups or or any other. Um, when it comes to these types of debt structures and and the way to think about it, um, no, I mean I think we kind of touched base high level, you know, as, as far as what's in the market out there, um, you know, for some of our audience members that are the larger groups, um, you know, uh, you know, being creative as when you're acquiring deals and how you look at um, uh, these acquisition targets that are they're going to be meaningful, and so some of our bigger groups were actually going into the biz dev side, and, and what I mean by that is. Uh, Again, us understanding the capital structures and how any sponsor deals or bank deals are being done, you know, we're starting to get the bigger groups coming to us and saying, "Hey, can you work with our biz dev team to structure the LOIs, uh, or be our biz dev team for some of the groups that don't have their own biz dev team and structure the LOIs and these transactions in a way, whereas um, you know we can we can get continue to get levered capital, right, levered capital, and not have to put a lot of equity into the deals." So. Uh, Yes, something that we'll probably touch base in the future, but we are starting to do a lot more of being an in-house biz dev team for a lot of the larger groups um, and doing buy-side advisory. Yeah, really trying to to sew up the whole equation for both our target audience as well as those that are larger groups that that may not that may no longer be 100% doctor owned. So it's kind of a a cool transition to think about as it relates to how our business evolves in this evolving market and there's obviously a ton of opportunity across the board that we're really excited about, not just this year but in the years to come. So uh, I hope today's episode was um uh, educational for a lot of you, uh, and and obviously beneficial. If you have questions about uh, structures, um, debt structures, or accessing uh, debt capital, whether you're four or five locations or forty to fifty locations, up to two hundred locations, we have the ability to to get deals done. And to echo what DeWalker said earlier. Um, we've obviously worked on some of those that you can read some of our press releases about, but there is an availability of capital out there for those looking to grow. And this is arguably a year that you really don't want to take your foot off the gas. There are going to be tons of opportunities to continue to execute your growth strategy. If you've got questions about that, comments, um, or, or want to book a call, you can reach out to me or DeWalker directly. Uh, DeWalker's email is D-I-W-A-K-A-R at polarishealthcarepartners.com and I'm Perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com P-E-R-R-I-N We'll link to both of those in the show notes. You can book a call with either one of us off of our website and really appreciate, like I said before, all of you being in the, in the audience. Appreciate all the, the accolades we get on all of our content, not just the, uh, uh, not just the podcast itself, but 
uh, suffice to say, really appreciate the feedback, the ratings, the reviews um, that you give us, and really appreciate you sharing the show uh, with your industry colleagues. That's how we grow our network as well. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.